God is so good. And tonight, we have a very special treat. Uh, we are so delighted to have uh, ministering tonight our very own Brother David Johnson. Amen. And we love and appreciate this man of God and his family. And uh, most everybody knows the Johnson family, but they do have to come and go sometimes, uh, Cincinnati and St. Louis, because he is the uh, academic dean at Urshan Graduate School of Theology and is investing in the lives and minds of young people who are carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ into amazing territory. Now, for years, we've preached the oneness of God. We've taught the oneness of God. We've sang the oneness of God. But, but Urshan Graduate School of Theology is doing something even a little bit different. It's, it's putting the oneness of God on an academic level. And that's an important place for the truth of God to go on an academic level. And Brother Johnson is one of the very outstanding leaders there at Urshan Graduate School of Theology and Urshan College. He is here in Cincinnati and has been for the last few years at Hebrew Union College, the uh, theological seminary, and he has, uh, he will be completing, is completing, and will have completed his doctorate uh, very soon. We're so delighted that the Johnson family is here in Cincinnati. We love them very much, and we wanted to come and bring the word of the Lord to you tonight. Could you receive him with a great big hand clap of appreciation? Amen. Let's give a hand clap of praise to the Lord right now. It's so great to feel his presence here tonight and just experience him here together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want to thank Pastor Urshan for the invitation to speak tonight. I appreciate that. Um, I also want to say just thank you to TLC. I don't know if we say that. Tree of Life Church for welcoming our family when we started here a few years ago. You've been so kind and gracious to us, allowing our children to participate in the Bible quizzing program. And uh, that's been so impactful for them. We told, yes, they do an excellent job. All of the Bible quizzing staff do, ex do an excellent job. Um, I t May Lynn, you know, we may not be here too much longer. And uh, May Lynn, the other day at the dinner table, my second oldest daughter, she said, you know, when we move from Cincinnati, I don't think I'll miss our house very much. You know, ouch. But she said, I think I'll definitely miss the church. And so I thought that was a very special thing that she said. But I appreciate the leadership of Pastor Urshan, Pastor Sizemore, all of the pastoral team, and appreciate all of you. It's just amazing to worship with you and be a part of this wonderful community of faith. Let's read a scripture from Matthew chapter 16, familiar passage, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonas, for 
flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. What I want us to see here in this text tonight is this. When Jesus asked his disciples this question, who do you say that I am? By asking that, he showed that he was concerned that their conception, that their ideas about his identity actually matched up with the reality of who he was. And I'd like to speak to you with the help of the Lord just for a few moments on this, under this title, The God in Your Head. The God in Your Head. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us tonight, that you would just minister to every individual in this place. God, that you would help us to see you more clearly, God, that we could see you for who you are, that you would increase our understanding of your purpose for our lives. We pray, Jesus, for your help and your strength tonight and your blessing in all that we do and say. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The God in your head. When you experience something that other people don't understand, they sometimes make this accusation. It's just all in your head. You know, you've heard of psychosomatic illness, when you have a mental stress or some kind of internal or psychological conflict. You sometimes have a related physical symptom. For example, you might have a headache or a stomach ache, but when you go to the doctor, they can't point to any certain physical or physiological cause for that pain. And so it's, it's simply in your head. People with amputated limbs, maybe from an injury that they experience, they sometimes report that they can still feel sensations in that missing limb, as it were, sometimes even including pain. It can be very difficult. My grandfather had, had some toes that were missing from an accident, a work accident, and he said it could be very frustrating to feel that pain even though there's nothing there or to feel an itch. Some people are very anxious just generally about their health and we might call them hypochondriacs if, we, if we're not being kind, but they get a toothache and immediately schedule an appointment with the brain surgeon. Something is going wrong and they've gotta solve it immediately. Um, you know, you might hear someone comment about someone like that. Yeah, they're feeling sick again, but it's just all in their head. So the larger point to be made here, of course, is that our brains, as wonderful as they are, can play tricks on us and sometimes we think things are true that do not necessarily align with reality. And the point is that we can't always trust our own thoughts, even when it comes to something as basic as our physical bodies. And if we can't trust our own thoughts in something that concrete, how much more so should we exercise care before trusting our own thoughts on questions of higher abstract or religious truth? because things can get complicated and sometimes it's difficult to know what is true and what is false. And complicating it further beyond just the human condition is that we live in a world right now and a culture where almost anything will pass for the truth. And some people are questioning even the very existence of truth. And the question that Pilate asked Jesus would be very welcome in our society does truth even exist? What is truth? 
people talk about truth as if it were mere opinion. Somebody might say in conversation, well, I don't believe in God. And someone might respond, well, that's just his truth. How can we talk about his truth and her truth and my truth? Truth doesn't belong to anyone. Truth is absolute. In his, in his 1985 book, uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death, you may have heard of it, Neil Postman warned way back then that the so-called opinions on current issues and events that were being expressed in the nightly news actually were more like emotions. And he warned, again in 1985, that the entertainment masquerading as serious informing on television had influenced the epistemology of youth. And how much further have we come in 2023? Because now we're using the verb feel where we used to use think or believe or even know. Have you noticed that? There's a place for feeling and there's a place for venturing opinions, of course. But when you're in math class and the teacher says, what is two plus two? And you say, I feel like it's four. What does feeling have to do with that? That's a fact. Truth is not determined by our feelings. It doesn't need us to verify it. Propositions are either true or they are not true. And the fact that I feel like something is true, no matter how much I feel like it's true, it doesn't affect its inherent truth or falsity. What we feel doesn't change what is. So why does all this matter? Well, it's important that we know things about God and that we know those things are true. It's important that we know the truth and that we know that the truth is the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. How we think is so foundational. Our thoughts about God and his nature and his expectations will affect the way we live our lives. The Bible says in many places, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And how many times have I heard people say, and you've probably heard them say it too, you know, I don't think God has a problem with this or that behavior or this or that thing. I just don't think God has a problem with that as if what we think matters or affects God in some way. There are so many people in our world with so many different ideas about God. It's, it's confusing. It's overwhelming. Everyone's using that word too. I'm overwhelmed about everything. I'm overwhelmed trying to decide what to order at Starbucks. It's just overwhelming. But if you look long enough, you can find a preacher or a church somewhere that will tell you pretty much anything you want to do is okay with God. But so many people today are placing their faith in a God that's not even real. No more real than the Easter Bunny. They're trusting their eternal souls to a figment of their imagination. And so tonight it is worth asking the question, how closely does the God in my head, and what I mean by that is my own idea of God, how closely does that align with the real one true God?
Have you ever considered that your own ideas about what God is like do not actually determine or affect what God is like? I know that's simple, but a lot of people don't think about it, at least by looking at them, they don't seem to be thinking about it. Some people think when their ideas about God change, God changes. I don't know if you ever heard, uh, it's a little dated now, but a uh, comedian, a Christian comedian, Mark Lowry, has anyone heard of him? He tells a little, he has a little comedy routine where he talks about as a kid, his, he, he, the church he attended, they had a new pastor and the new pastor started talking about the end times and about the great tribulation. And Mark Lowry says, man, we, we didn't want to hear about the great tribulation. We were counting on the rapture. So he goes, we went across the street to a church that was going in the rapture. And he's just being funny. This is nothing against Mark Lowry. He's just being funny. But the reason it's funny is because people really think like that where it matters. You know, when you're a kid, maybe you played the game, wasn't very kind, but step on a crack and break your mother's back. Stepping on the crack has nothing to do with your mother. Changing churches doesn't change God's expectations of you. You might as well say, I'm going to a different church where the sun doesn't come up in the morning for all the effect it has on God. So the Bible recounts so many stories. You can read about it and you can breathe a sigh of relief because I won't go through them all tonight. But the Bible recounts so many stories about people whose ideas of God were misaligned with reality. Job's friends could just not get their minds around the idea that Job could have so much hardship but still be innocent before God. The God in their head wouldn't allow that to happen. In Samuel 4, we read the story, the people of Israel lost a battle to the Philistines and 4,000 people were killed. So they said, oh no, we got to do something about this. This isn't good. So they went and got the Ark of the Covenant, which they hadn't thought about for a long time. And they said, we're going to take this out into battle with us. Then God will be on our side. Well, what happened in the next battle? 30,000 were killed. They did worse with the Ark of the Covenant than they had done without the Ark of the Covenant. Because without God's blessing on their lives, the Ark of the Covenant was just a religious symbol. It would do them no good. Just because they thought God was on their side didn't actually affect the outcome. And then Phineas's wife, after the battle, she was so disappointed hearing that her, her uh, husband and, and brother-in-law had died. And then Eli died when he heard the report. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel because the Ark had been captured. But she was wrong. The glory had departed long before its absence became apparent in a major military defeat. The wickedness of the people that we read about, including Eli's sons, was the reason why God had withdrawn his favor from them. And so it did them no good at all to, that the God in their head was on their side. They lost the battle. We could, we could multiply examples. Paul on the road to Damascus was perfectly aligned with the will of the God in his head. He knew that he was on the right track, but then the vision from heaven showed him he was wrong, and thank God he accepted that, that message. He was actually opposing the real God, and he said, wow, his name is Jesus. What a surprise. During, you may remember in the news cycle from last February, maybe, uh, during the Winter Olympics in February 2022, uh, a little humorous news item hit the, hit the cycle for a few days. 
Um, the, so at the Winter Olympics, real snow, horror of horrors, begin to fall. And apparently it threw several events at the Olympics into disarray. Now this is the Winter Olympics, emphasis on winter. These are sports that are designed and have been developed for real snow. But when real snow began to fall, the, the organizers and contestants were so prepared for artificial snow that they didn't know what to do. The real thing created a crisis. I wonder what would happen in some people's life if the real God showed up. I wonder what would happen if the real God stepped into your life. I thank God that we experience the real God here. Every service, it's an awesome experience. Amen. But we can be tempted to create an artificial God. And it's easy to do. Because the God in your head can be safe and comfortable and predictable. But when people encounter the real God, their lives will be forever altered. There's nothing like it. The real God is dangerous. He's likely to push you out of your comfort zone. He's, he's liable to ask you to go into the unknown, to attempt something you've never attempted before. The walk of faith can be absolutely terrifying. We walk by faith and not by sight, but that means we're going blind. We don't know what's coming next. It's terrifying. But give me the real God over an artificial God any day of the week. Amen. We are made in God's image. We're created in God's image. We don't make God in our image. It's like the song we were singing earlier, I am who you say I am. Just don't get it turned around. He's not who we say he is. We are who he says we are. And he is who he says he is. He's the one who defines things. Let God be God and every man a liar. Amen. I remember traveling by car as a young man in the Oregon district with my grandfather and Paul Price. Did anyone know Paul Price? I don't know. Yes, I see a few hands. Amazing man of God. He was a pastor of a great church in Napa, California, superintendent of the Western District for I think 34 years. It's just amazing. But he was a great man of God. Um, I, I remember hearing him preach. What an amazing, what an amazing experience. You would think, and I thought as a young man traveling in that car with him and my grandfather, I thought he would probably know pretty much everything there is to know about God. But I remember as a young man hearing him speak so earnestly about the hunger of his heart to know God. And it made an impact on my young life. I remember that and he spoke to me directly. He wanted me to know that it was important to know God. And he would talk about how he would get up early in the morning and he would spend time with God early, five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning. And he'd, he, he talked about it, and these are his words, not mine, but he said, I came to realize later in life, in this stage of life, after all these ministry successes, everything he's done, all the experience of God he's had, he said, I came to realize I don't really know God very well at all. And he said, I want to know God personally. Late in the Apostle Paul's ministry, another Paul uh, in the New Testament, probably while he was imprisoned at Rome, he wrote 
to the Philippian church. Philippians 3, 7 through 10, listen to the passion. And again, this is late in his ministry. After being used of God and experienced God in ways that are amazing to us, he said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the expediency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. Hear the cry of his heart, that I may know him. What, Paul, you don't know him yet? After everything you experienced, everything we read about in the book of Acts, you don't know him yet? But he cried out that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So both Paul Price and others, we could give many examples the Apostle Paul, they saw how much they still needed to learn about God, despite all the great experiences they, have, they had had of him in the past, and how much more for me. I need to know so much more about him. I need to learn more about what he desires for my life. No matter how much work we do to get our thinking straight, there's always a gap. However small you may think it is, there's always a gap between our theology, our, our ideas about God, and the spiritual reality that those ideas are just attempts to describe. There's always a gap. We can never describe the reality perfectly. Why does it matter that we know God? Why does this even matter? When we know him, it will change the way we live our lives. The more we know him, the more we will be like him. And also, incidentally, it's a dangerous thing to simply trust your own ideas about God because your eternal soul is at stake. So I've created the problem. So now let's talk about how and where can we find the real God. Where is the real God? God is among sinners. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. People were puzzled by Jesus. Why, as a religious leader, is he spending so much time with sinners? But he said, those who are healthy don't need a doctor. I came for people who are sick. There was a time years ago, I was working in another city at a hospital as a Spanish interpreter. I used to do that to make a little money on the side. And I was called to the room of an elderly Hispanic gentleman. And he was very sick, and he was very low in, in his, at the time of his life. And they had called a chaplain from, a, from the chaplaincy department, and I don't know which, maybe what her denominational affiliation was. She didn't look anything like a Pentecostal chaplain might look. She was probably universe, like a universalist or something like that, if I had to guess. Um, she was trained to pray for whichever faith was needed, and, and she probably didn't share the same background as the gentleman there, but, but I was there to interpret. So I was standing at the bedside, the chaplain was standing here, and the gentleman was laying in the hospital bed, and she began to pray a prayer for him. I believe, if, if I don't uh, recall incorrectly, he was probably a Catholic, and I believe she was praying a Catholic prayer for him, and I was interpreting it. 
And I just remember thinking, oh boy, man, he's never going to touch God here. This is, man, he needs a Pentecostal preacher. This is going to do nothing for him. And I tell you, as he started praying and repeating the words, I felt the power of God come into that hospital room. It was amazing. I'll never forget the experience. And I literally said in my head to God, what are you doing here? But God doesn't have my issues. He doesn't care who you are, where you came from. If you cry out to him in sincere faith, he's not going to ignore you. He wasn't worried. See, God wasn't worried about my little human issues. He wasn't worried, wow, if I show up here in response to this gentleman's faith, somebody might think this chaplain's theology is correct, so I can't take that chance. No, God stepped right in and said, when I hear my name, I'm gonna be there. Amen. Wherever there's a soul that needs saving, Jesus will be right there knocking at their heart's door and waiting to be let in. If you want to get close to the real God, minister to the people he loves. Where is the real God? God is in the church. The true church will always make itself known. I'll never forget the first Sunday I walked into Tree of Life Church. And I know this is just one local church in the church, but I walked into Tree of Life Church and it was in the older building. I know there's probably more than one old building, but it was the building we just moved out of. I walked in and the like the parking lot level on the far side so that I had to go up the stairs to get to the sanctuary. And I heard the music and the worship. As I walked in the door, I already felt God's presence. I, we had just moved to Cincinnati. I hadn't been in a lot of services because we'd been really busy with moving and other things that we had going on. I'd had a really rough week. I was facing a really strong spiritual attack. Um, but when I walked in the doors and I heard that worship, my heart just leaped with hope and joy, and I'll never forget it. And during the song service, I probably made a fool of myself, but it's okay. It doesn't matter. I was standing in the song service just weeping and crying during the whole song service. At the end, I went forward to pray, and I just knew that, that God was there. And that was part of what caused us to choose this as our home church while we were in Cincinnati. And I know God's everywhere, but it's just amazing to be a part of God's church. First Timothy 3.15 says, but, but, but if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Look at this, the pillar and foundation of the truth. If you wanna find the truth, you need to get close to the church. Where is the real God? God is with the humble. The scripture says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We mentioned earlier the story God refused to support the Israelites who went out boldly and pridefully against the Philistines with the ark, just assuming he was with them. But there's another story in 2 Chronicles 30 when Hezekiah the king was trying to reform God's people and he'd gathered them to celebrate the Passover, but they weren't able to follow the rituals of the law perfectly and celebrate it just right. And so Hezekiah prayed um, for a multitude of the people even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat the Passover. Otherwise, and it would, 
than it was written. So basically they couldn't do the Passover exactly right and they knew it. But Hezekiah prayed for them saying, the good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. Look at this. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. What's the difference? Where in one case they have what appears to be everything together carrying out the ark to battle and God doesn't get involved. In the other case, they're really not doing everything right and yet God shows mercy and blesses them anyway. What's the difference? It's humility. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to those whose hearts are humble. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. We should pray with the psalmist in, in Psalm 19:12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Humility is the key, is a key to experiencing the real God. Where is the real God? The real God is with the obedient. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not sure about what God would do, but they were sure about what they were going to do. They were going to obey. And after they obeyed, God showed up. God calls us to obey his voice. And as we obey him, we learn more about him. It's not the other way around, and that's important. Jesus said the one who puts his hand to the plow and begins but then turns back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You will never make progress in your walk with God as long as you're starting and stopping, starting and stopping. God calls us, every single one of us, to offer a living sacrifice. What God desires is our long obedience in the same direction. I remember working with a young couple years ago in youth ministry, and they were not honoring one another as they should. They were doing things God said should be only in the marriage relationship. And the young man had been justifying his wrong behavior to the young lady, putting pressure on her. And he's, what he was saying was, don't worry about it. I know you feel bad. Because she was saying, I feel bad. I don't think I should be doing this. And he said, don't worry about that. We can just repent afterwards. See, the God in his head was okay with that. This regular planning of sin. Just as long as you breathe a prayer of repentance afterwards, everything's fine. But that's not what the God of heaven expects. Yes, God is faithful to forgive, and his mercy is amazing, it's incredible, but his plan for us is that we walk in the spirit and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and you can learn that through his word. Psychologists talk a lot about something called cognitive dissonance. Has anyone heard of that? Cognitive dissonance. I see lots of hands. It's becoming a more and more common term. But basically, if you haven't heard of it, it means that when our ideas in our head don't match our behavior, it makes us feel uncomfortable. Just the human condition. So we tend to do one of two things. We either change our ideas or we change our behavior. And that sort of resolves the tension. So an example, 
if I think I should probably stop smoking because it's damaging to my health, but I continue smoking anyway, then I'm in a state of cognitive dissonance. It's like hitting a, cog it's like hitting a dissonant chord. It just doesn't feel right. It's uncomfortable to think that what I continue to do is wrong or harmful. So I, so I tend, as you know, psychologically, the pressure is to either change my behavior, stop smoking, or change my beliefs. Well, my grandpa smoked every day till he was 90, so I'm probably fine. Right? We've all heard it. We're masters at justifying ourselves in our own mind. We want what we want. And so sometimes the danger is when we're confronted with a God that disapproves of our behavior, we're tempted to take an easy road and simply create a false picture of God that allows us to justify our behavior. And then we get to do what we want to do. But the point I'm making tonight in, in several ways is changing our thinking about God doesn't change him. And it doesn't change the standard by which he judges us. Where is the real God? The real God is in Christ. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. God was in Christ, Scripture says, reconciling the world unto himself. In Revelation, we read there is one sitting on the throne, and that one is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to reach the real God, it will be through Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. Amen. Where is the real God? God is in his word of revelation in the scriptures. The temple leadership were shocked when Jesus showed up and overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple because the God in their heads would never approve of this kind of behavior. But what did Jesus do? He pointed out what they should have known all along. He pointed out what the scripture said about God. My house shall be called a house of prayer. If you have an idea about God and you're not sure if it's right, check it against scripture. Jeremiah 10, 12, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Psalm 147, 5, great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Isaiah 40, 28, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Psalm 11:5. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Psalm 84:11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. We can't read the whole Bible tonight. Where is the real God? God is in you. As we've heard over the last few weeks from Pastor Urshan, God wants to give every individual his Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. 
and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. When God's Spirit lives within us, He can lead us into all truth. He can teach us about Himself through the Spirit that resides in us. Look at this. Abraham had such great confidence in his ability to recognize God's voice that he obeyed God rather than questioning his, his hearing. He obeyed God. When God asked him to take the unthinkable action of sacrificing his only son, Isaac, and of course, things didn't turn out the way he expected. He found out that God was trustworthy, but he had such confidence in his ability to recognize God's voice. Can we recognize God's voice with that level of certainty? Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. We must work to learn, we must learn to hear his voice, to recognize his voice, and then obey. Amen. I want to say that the task of knowing God and uh, understanding God is always going to be incomplete in this life. It's always going to be ongoing. We will always fall short of knowing God perfectly. And if you think you've got it all figured out, then we go back to we find God in humility. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, that's now. In the Greek, it means now. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now, I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So we're continually learning more about God all through our lives, as long as we live, as long as we've been living for God. That's just our posture, to learn more about Him. We never get there. We never finish. It's, it's just our posture is in this ongoing task. And as we do that, we work as we learn more to align our own lives with what we're learning about his nature and his expectations. This is articulated in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So that is our posture in this life. But we also have the promise that someday, on the other side, we will finally see him clearly. And what an experience that will be. First John 3, 2, beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. There are some questions that we will just have to leave on the shelf all the way to the grave as we continue to walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes we make progress and sometimes we just leave the questions on the shelf. Thomas could not reconcile the reports he was hearing about the living Lord with his mental certainty that Jesus had died. But when he saw him and he touched him, everything became clear. I want to encourage someone here today, don't give up your faith because you can't answer a question. 
no one will ever answer all the questions. And the Bible's upfront about that. And that is why faith is essential in the first place. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We can't do this Christian thing without faith. If you've ever signed a business contract, you, you probably know if you actually read it, which you probably did, contracts have contingencies built in. I will pay you X amount for Y service or product, but only if the following contingencies. So only if a tornado does not destroy the entire city or a global economy collapse does not occur or I don't die tomorrow, right? They're contingencies. So I agree to this, but only if X, Y, Z, you know, one, two, three, four, five, however many there are. Here's the problem. Our faith isn't like that. I'll only believe in God as long as I'm healthy, as long as there are no questions I can't find an answer to, as long as the people I love and trust and, and I respect in the church also continue to be faithful. But what we need is a non-contingent faith. Like Daniel's friends that we mentioned earlier, even if God does not rescue us or heal us or fix our problems or eliminate our suffering, we will still trust in him. We will still remain committed to him. As Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There's an ancient Christian saying, um, Fides Quarens Intellectum. You may have heard of it. There's a lot of bumper stickers and t-shirts. Faith seeking understanding. And that is how it must be. Not the other way around. Not our human mind seeking faith. Not understanding seeking faith. But faith first. This kind of faith is a gift from God. It is not something you arrive at mentally uh, uh, intellectually, faith is placed in your heart by God. You, and this is so critical. You, you don't believe in God because of what you know. You believe in God, if you do, because of the faith he placed in your heart as a gift. I don't have more than five minutes left in case you're wondering, but do this exercise with me. Think back in your own life. Maybe close your eyes for a second if it helps you concentrate. If not, no, no worries. Think back in your life. Why do you believe in the real God? Did someone hand you a book that said there was a God? Did someone give you a doctrinal statement? No. For me, and I suspect for you and a lot of people I've talked to, you think back to a moment or a series of moments, but there's probably a first moment when you really encountered God. You had an experience of God, and that's why you believe. You don't believe because the preacher says there's a God. You believe because you had that experience. And, and if you're here tonight and you haven't had that experience, let me encourage you, you can have that experience. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. But we believe in God because God comes to us while we're yet sinners. He places his faith in our heart as a gift. And that goodness that he placed there then leads us to repentance. 
and so that we can't take credit for anything we do because he is the one who saves us. That's why when we get to heaven and we receive a crown, we're going to pull that thing off and throw it at his feet because we know we wouldn't even be here without you. We start with faith and then we move forward from there. Sometimes the path of faith will lead us through seasons of uncertainty, seasons of suffering, but we know that God will never leave us or forsake us. Now let me say this, the God in your head will be great in the good times, but in the bad times, in the rough moments, you better hope that you have a connection to the one true God because only the one true God will go with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. You can stand with me. I'm, I'm finishing uh, rapidly here. Thinking back to our text that we read from Matthew, Jesus asked his disciples, whom do you say that I am? He cared. It, it mattered what they thought about him. So tonight, let's turn the question on ourselves. Who do we say that Jesus is? Who do you say that God is? And, and the invitation of the message tonight is this. I'm inviting you to just do a checkup. Does my conception of God match up with the God of Scripture, with the God in the church, with the God in Christ, with the witness of the Spirit in us? And so I would invite each of you to just make some commitments this evening. Just make some commitments. It matters. God notices when we take a step of faith. And, if, and the altars are open if you want to come pray, if you want to stay where you are, either way. But just take a step and make a commitment. Commit to never stop seeking to know him more. Commit to always be open to the fact that your current ideas about God might need to be adjusted as you come to see his true nature more clearly. In other words, commit to stay humble. Commit to work with Jesus to reach sinners. Commit to stay connected with the church. Commit to stay obedient. Commit that salvation is only in and through Jesus Christ. And commit to pursuing knowledge of God through scripture. Commit to stay attentive to the voice and leading of the Spirit within you. And right now, I promise you, if you call out in sincere faith to the one true God, He will respond and He will answer. Amen. Let's call out to Him tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
keep on praying if you're praying. But ladies and gentlemen, we just heard a rich word from the Lord. Hallelujah. The scripture says that he sanctifies and cleanses his church with the washing of water by the word. And we've been washed tonight. There's a sanctifying power in this word that we've heard tonight. God wants to cleanse us. He wants to cleanse our minds. He wants to cleanse our minds and our hearts of any false God or any false perception of God that may have lodged itself in our thinking. Oh, God. Hallelujah, Lord. We want to be obedient. We want to be humble. us to just pour our heart out to God right now. My personal prayer is going to be, God, strip me of everything that's not of you. Strip me of every false idea, every false perception, every false thing that I've allowed to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Oh, how, how I want to know you, God. I want to know you, God. Come on, let it take you back to a childlike faith. Pour your heart out to it tonight in the name of Jesus.
want to I want to challenge us as we go from this place not from his presence to listen to this over and over again there was such a beautiful roadmap and God help us to be every one of those things help us to be humble help us to be obedient help us Lord to be contrite help us Lord to have the word of revelation help us to manifest the God that that you said Lord you said I am in you I'm above all through all and in you all Lord take it from being the God that's in my head to being the one true and living God hallelujah hallelujah God let this word envelop us tonight let this word envelop us tonight hallelujah let it become let it become our daily bread Lord let it become our daily bread let's receive it in Jesus name hallelujah Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Johnson, for a wonderful word from God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm enriched tonight. I'm enriched tonight. My goodness. We, we, we fed and ate like kings tonight with the rich word of God. Amen. We want to tell you that this coming Saturday is family prayer at 9.30 a.m. It's going to be a wonderful time in the presence of God. And we are looking forward to that. Amen. Saturday morning, 9.30 a.m. We're going to have family prayer. Let's make this a house of prayer. We heard it tonight. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And we want Tree of Life Church to be called a house of prayer. Let it be known far and wide that prayer happens in that house. Amen. And we thank God for each of you in the way that you seek his face. I do want to say, and I've been meaning to say it, we're so glad to have Brother Spencer Jordan and Sister Caitlin Jordan here in Cincinnati with us. Amen. Can we give the Lord a great big hand clap? Amen. This is my niece and nephew, and uh, we love them so very much. And the Lord is using them in a mighty way. They're fresh from Durham, North Carolina, but they're in Cincinnati, Ohio right now. And as long as we've got them, we're thankful that they're here. Praise God. And uh, we love all of you. God bless you in Jesus' name. As you go tonight, find somebody, shake their hand, hug their neck, tell them you love them. Let them know how much you appreciate them. And thank God for the word with them. God bless you.